Welcome to Mad Dogs and Englishmen, a special extended winter dreary Monday quasi-suicidal edition. On that subject, how many rounds did you expend over the weekend, Charlie? I know you've got a new toy in the toy box. Just 50. Only 50. It was interesting. I went up to the range in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and if you Google guns white people, you will find a huge number of articles saying that guns are just for white people, that it's some white subconscious working out of a loss of uh, loss of power and that it's a white hobby and that it's white men making up for having small genitals and so on and so forth. But if you go to the Bridgeport shooting range, as I did, you will find that it's extremely diverse. Hispanics, black, black people, uh, women... So Bridgeport has Asian. a shooting range that looks like Bridgeport, you're saying? Yeah, it does. But, it's, but, but it's true in Colorado, it was true in California, it was true in Texas, where I've been. Um, so yeah, I went up there and I, uh, and I put 50 rounds through my new gun. Was it terrific? Was it everything you thought it would be? It was, although I have to practice a little more. It's, it's, uh, the shooting wasn't quite up to snuff? It wasn't bad, but I'd like to be able to, you know, hit bullseyes and so forth. Right, right. Speaking of bullseyes, actually not speaking of bullseyes. So a thing about critics, uh, particularly yours, but also uh, mine to an extent, but I think it's sort of an interesting subject. You know, uh, Bill Buckley used to always get this charge that he was a conservative because he was this, you know, aristocrat. Uh, I mean, came from money, married money. Uh, you know, the private boarding schools and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's not quite the Buckley story. You know, his dad was a bit of a, a wildcatter, uh, you know, sort of up and down in the oil business. You also, I, I read on Twitter, often get that same criticism that the only reason you were a conservative is because you were this, you know, English nobleman. And then when you inform people that you, in fact, aren't and don't come from that sort of background, well, then it's that you're, uh, you're a conservative because you're a petit bourgeois. And so we were talking about this earlier, and you said that the natural extension of that would be that if you came from a really, uh, you know, rural or uh, lower class background, then people would say you're a conservative because you're a hick, which is what I get when people <laughs> figure out figure out where I come from. So, you know, if you're Bill Buckley, you're a conservative because you're an aristocrat. If you're Charlie Cook, you're a conservative because you're middle class. And if you're Kevin Williamson, you're a conservative because you're a redneck from Lubbock, Texas. Is it possible, just barely that class doesn't explain why we think the things we think. I, I think it's entirely possible. Uh, and, and certainly in my case, uh, I am by no means an expression of my upbringing or the people with whom I went to school. I mean, I've written about this before. There is a latent anti-Americanism in the, in the British middle classes, um, and especially in upper middle classes, that I've bucked. I mean, my views to my friends are insane on speech, on firearms, on tax rates, on the role of government in general. But uh, this all started, I should say, I have a, a real abiding fascination with this small clique of hard lefties on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's a fascination that is more akin to one that a botanist would have with, say, moss, <laughs> than any great desire to spend time with them. But there is this overarching criticism of me that I'm an aristocrat or a Tory. And it struck me that whatever I am, there's an answer for, as your introduction suggested. I pointed out on Saturday evening that I'm not actually an aristocrat at all. I come from 
a family. Uh, my parents are working class people who made good. My mum teaches autistic children. My dad uh, owns a small business having served in the military. Uh, my sister teaches autistic children. She married a Malaysian guy who's a history teacher. This is not exactly Downton Abbey. <laughs> my aunt died of AIDS. She was from Malawi. My uh, cousin was raised as uh, by a single dad, my uncle, and that's pretty much the extent of the family. And having established that I'm not an aristocrat and that I'm not Sebastian Flight from Brideshead, the immediate response was, well, of course you are uh, a conservative because you're pretty bourgeois. And, uh, you know, that's exactly the sort of life story you would expect to lead toward being a conservative of your type. And as you said, it struck me that if I'd had a slightly different story, if I'd said, well, actually, I'm from the back streets of Liverpool and I was the first uh, male in my uh, college to go to university, which I was, um, and if I didn't come from a middle-class family, which I did, then it would have been, well, of course you think this because you've inherited the usual prejudices and reactionary nature of the working class who vote against their own interests. They always have an answer. Right. And, you know, it struck me of, of a point that Jane Nordlinger likes to make, which is that once you've decided that you hate somebody and that there's something actually wrong with them, then there's always a reason for why they like that. I mean, Jews, for, for to anti-Semites, are at the same time communists who want to overthrow the order and capitalists who are greedy and run all the banks. You know, Americans are fat and lazy, but they're also body worshippers. Uh, they're isolationists who no know nothing about the rest of the world, and they're imperialists who invade and drone everybody that they dislike. Uh, conservatives are hardcore Soviets. They are the conservative wing, but they're also libertarians. And you and I get exactly the same accusations which are simultaneously that we are reactionaries who want to preserve the existing order and make sure that nobody ever gets rich other than those who are already rich and who want to keep down the poor and keep everything exactly the same and stop radical change but also we're crazy libertarians who want to undermine the whole of society and undo the new deal and change the American government and go backwards toward a, a, a more uh, libertarian or classically liberal time and it just interests me because once you've taken that view then there's nothing anybody can say to defend themselves yeah, I uh, you know sometimes jokingly refer to myself as an Eisenhower anarchist, and uh, but I think that some people on the other side take that view uh, maybe a little more literally uh, than I mean it. But yeah, it is interesting that you know conservatives can be considered both uh, partisans of the status quo and also you know bomb throwing radicals at the same time. I do wish they would sort of make up their mind because we made up our mind about them. I mean, they're socialists, and that's what they are, and whatever they're going to call themselves, it's basically what they are at the end of the day. And uh, we sort of understand them. And I think this is, you know, this goes back to something you and I've talked about to some extent, which is that, uh, you know, conservatives by necessity grow up in the left's culture because we go to school like everyone else does, and the schools are run by the left. And we are, you know, to some extent immersed in pop culture, and pop culture is dominated by, you know, sort of progressivism and uh, what we have to call liberalism, even though it's, it's anti liberal. The result of all this, uh, you know, from the books we read and the movies we see and uh, the courses we take in, in school, is that we actually understand their ideas a lot better than they understand ours. Well, I used to hold their ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, that's actually something we should talk about someday, because you actually have one of those sort of conversion experiences, whereas yeah. I've been just sort of, you know, right-wing ex-Udro, uh, just sort of discovered that there was a name for it one day and, uh, and kind of ran from there. But... Um, they don't actually understand uh, our ideas that well. I'm sure that you've read Marx, you've probably read some Dewey, you've probably read Noam Chomsky, uh, you've probably read various you know feminist writers. Uh, I just had endless, endless doses of Julia Kristeva when I was in uh, college. 
uh, was a very trendy feminist writer at the time. But you will not meet very many people on the left who have read uh, Hayek or Mises or Burnham or Burke or uh, the sort of uniformative writers. And that's it, it's interesting to me because we not only understand our ideas better, but we also understand their ideas better than they do because they don't read their own writers either that much because they think they're anti-ideologists, that they're just pragmatists who invent everything from new distilling it by pure reason uh, each generation as the time comes. Of course, that's the reason they keep making the same mistakes over and over. But it also leads to some really, you know, sort of dumb things. Like if you read um, the reviews of uh, Jonah's liberal fascism book when that came out, you know, it was treated as though the argument were just, you know, self-evidently ridiculous and uh, not possibly the sort of thing that they made. Now, of course, this was often the case that people were reviewing the book who hadn't read it. And it was right. clear from the reviews they hadn't read it, but there were a few people who had read the book. And uh, the fact that they simply did not understand the roots of their own ideology uh, blinded them to uh, what Jonah had to say about it. And I think that uh, it leaves our political discussion a little, a little poorer than it really needs to be because we don't have... Uh, we don't have really very good interlocutors on the other side. No, and we don't have very good language in which to discuss it. A great pet peeve of mine is that conservative is not a very good word to describe, say, your and my philosophy in world political terms. I mean, I get this word Tory thrown at me a lot, and I'm not a Tory. In England, conservative is, though, the right word for the party. It is largely on the side of the status quo, it is in favour of blocking property development. It is in favour of retaining the monarchy and the state religion. It is in favour of a large paternalistic noblesse oblige government that acts in a certain way, uh, but is nonetheless a pro-government movement. Now, in the United States, conservative really means, with a few exceptions, conservative of radical principles. Yeah. It means those who wish to preserve the founding's classical liberalism. Now, I don't understand why the fact that the First Amendment, say, was written in uh, 1791 uh, should in any way disqualify it from being relevant today. To me, a classically liberal principle, a principle of freedom, is still a radical notion when cast against most of world history and most of even Western history. And so while reactionary and Tory might be a politically useful word to throw at somebody whose basic guiding principle is that the state should leave people alone, treat them as individuals, and that there should be large protections uh, for individuals to levy against the state, it really goes no way to describing what the likes of, uh, of us believe. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, of course, worth keeping in mind that George Washington and the Tories were on the opposite side of that fight yeah. uh, for the most part, and um, that the American Revolution was, in the classical sense of the word, a liberal revolution. It was a, it was a revolution having to do with liberal principles. And you know, any, by any proper sense, people like us would be known as, as liberals, and we're conservative to the extent that we are looking to conserve a regime based on certain liberal principles. Right, and in Europe, we are used, uh, we are described, or right. we would be if they knew who we were, uh, we are described as liberals, and the word is thrown. Those liberals are yeah, there. Yes, it's profane. It's a, it's absolutely. Uh, in, in Britain, it's slightly different. It's a slightly different history. In America, it's been adopted by people who are certainly now anything but. 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, of course, the great irony. And, and it's aggravating for people like us because I hate calling people on the left liberals uh, because they're in favor of speech codes and restrictions on constitutional rights and uh, restrictions on the use of property and interfering with people's private lives uh, when it comes to matters economic and also non-economic. And uh, they're anything but liberal. Uh, sometimes we call them progressives, which I think is useful because we're you know, connecting them at least linguistically to uh, Wilson and the uh, ideologies of that time, which are really what they're, they're most steeped in. But I hate calling them progressives, too, because the word progressive you know, suggests something that's forward-looking, whereas these people are looking back to the 1930s and beyond that really looking back to Bismarck. Well, it was amusing over the weekend to see progressives railing against electricity during Earth Hour. Which part of which part of progress was that in support of? Yes, and as someone once uh, observed, the opposite of progress is Congress. But um, yeah, so the language gets to be a thing. That's uh, the sort of identity uh, business gets to be a thing. You know, you're a conservative and you like guns because you're white or because you're upper class or because you're not upper class. You know, I heard a rumor once that you went to Oxford. And I'm sure that if I were, you know, someone on the other side, I would either conclude that you're a conservative because you went to Oxford or because you hadn't gone to Oxford and wish you had. Yes, well, that's a fascinating point. Will Antonin, who's uh, an academic who is on the, on the Internet, ask Will Antonin. I don't think it's his actual name. I don't think he feels that he can come out at, at his university until he has tenure anyway. Yes. Um, and he won't say which university, but he's a very smart guy. And he made a great point recently, which is that if a conservative went to Harvard, then that shows that they're rich and privileged and well-connected. But if somebody on the left went to Harvard, then that shows that they're smart. Yeah. So the word is used interchangeably, or I should say differently, depending on the outcome that the speaker wishes to arrive at. So Patrick Brennan is a Catholic, rich, privately educated Harvard graduate who doesn't have any care for the poor, whereas Matt Iglesias is an extremely smart Harvard graduate who got in because he's brilliant. Uh, and I think the same rule seems to apply to me. Rachel Maddow's going to Oxford shows that she's smart and caring. My going to Oxford proves that I'm Lord Grantham. Yeah. So I, I guess the question we should probably end with then, and I think this is a real question, is given the lack, and it's, it's a real, I think, notable lack of intellectual honesty among you know, the most prominent people, critics on the other side, um, how much, how beneficial will it be, how fruitful will it be for us to really try to engage them in honest conversation? You know, I try this from time to time. Um, you know, I will try to start a serious discussion about something with John Chait or uh, Chris Hayes or someone like that. And it lasts about a minute, typically, before it gets to you. Oh, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe, you hate poor people. Well, uh, and it's, it's worse than that, you know. This is the thing that I saw over the weekend. These people actually believe that I'm scum. Mm. It's not just the racist, of course there's the racist, homophobic, privileged, whatever, I don't know, whatever other words they like to throw at people. But they actually believe that the likes of uh, you and I are awful human beings who are unsalvageable. And Which in although, my case is true, but that's not generally applicable. But I, I think, well, there are a few exceptions, of course, but generally speaking and I say this as somebody who used to to be one to an extent I wasn't a communist or anything but I was sort of of the soft English left and who knows 
them in far greater number than I know conservatives. I mean, we've said this before, I'm from England, I work in New York, and I live in Connecticut. So it's not as if I'm surrounded by... You spent a lot of time in Southern California before that. Absolutely, a lot of time in Southern California. So I know how these people think, and almost none of them are bad people at all. They're just, in my view, misguided. They just have poor politics, and sometimes they're just intellectually inconsistent or they're not cogent. But I am a horrible, horrible human being who needs to be destroyed in the eyes. There's no doubt, uh, there's no surprise that you get that reaction when you try and engage because that must be uh, how you were seen as well. Now, whether we should do it, I do think it's important to engage because there are a lot of people in the middle Mm. who are interested in, you might need possibly to make a virtue of a view that you have that is not typically conservative and then they will listen say Grand Paul and Berkeley yeah uh, or the you know you, you and I are both very suspicious of, of the drug war mm. um, I'm an atheist that's sort of an in that helps and I had a lot of people after Bill Maher you get you get a lot of horrendous comments as you know when you go on Bill Maher show but you also get a lot of nice emails from people who say look I'm a, a moderate or I'm a, a, a Democrat but I'm not really a, a hardcore uh, progressive and I just wanted you to know that I enjoyed listening to you even though I disagree with you and there are a few things maybe even one of the things I spoke about I actually agree with you water for example is is an interesting one yeah. in, in California so for that it's certainly worth engaging are you going to change the, the minds of the writers that you are actually engaging with no no but I'm not sure you can even have a real conversation with them although just to, to add something uh, my experience uh in terms of nasty audiences, Bill Maher's audience is fairly nasty, but they were not half as nasty as Chris Hayes' audience was back when he was on in the morning, when it was up. There's something about these poor, bedraggled, lefty, tenured Birkenstock-wearing people who, for whatever reason, are up at 7 o'clock on a, on a Saturday morning for whatever you know reason of unhappy biography that gets them out of bed at that hour. They were the nastiest, angriest, uh, most vicious uh, people I encountered. So if this was a uh, a slightly self-indulgent conversation uh, about Charlie's uh, experiences in mind, then um, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm just going to say it happens every now and then. It is a Monday, and I I, I think it's actually uh, something of some interest. And most of you listening at home, of course have precisely the same experience. This is not as, you know, quite as amped up as if you're not, you know, writing about stuff and, and doing stuff on television. Because I think that, um, you know, the fundamental cultural difference behind all this stuff that we've talked about today is that people on the left think, I'm a liberal because I'm good, and people on the other side are bad. Whereas conservatives think, whether we articulate it or not, I'm a conservative because everyone's sort of bad. And uh, man is a fallen creature, and therefore we have to uh, build such institutions as we can to protect liberty and property and sort of basic decency. It's probably worth finishing on the Gorka story from last week with this in mind. The Adam Weinstein oh, piece yeah. about imprisoning climate change. Speaking of one of the people who hates me on Twitter, yeah, he's always nasty. Right, and, and punishing them. I've never really got into it. With For people them. who didn't see it. This made the case that because speech is not absolute, uh, it would be good practice now for the federal government to start imprisoning the worst offenders uh, of what is termed climate denialism because they are going to lead to the deaths of people. Hmm. And the reason this interested me, in, apropos of what we were just talking about, 
is this belief that because progressives believe that science is always on their side, that they would never be caught in the crosshairs of a regime that imprisoned people for speaking. Right. I mean, implicit in Weinstein's piece is that he is on the side of the angels and that he's right and that governments can therefore start prosecuting people for disagreeing with people like him and that it would never be turned around the other way, that the state would never use that power in a way that he didn't like. Right. And again, that comes down to a basic philosophical difference. I think there are an awful lot of Americans who have really stupid views on things that are pretty obvious. For example, 20% of Americans believe that the sun goes around the earth yeah. at the last. Now, I don't think there's any doubt about this, and I don't think that the question <laughs> is really open for a solid debate. Mm. But I don't want them in prison for saying it because government can't be trusted with that power. Yeah. And I guess I would just say as a, as a last sentence here, anyone thinking about attempting to uh, prosecute us for our views should remember the first sentence of this discussion as well. Which was? I was asking you about your guns. Okay. Talk to you tomorrow.